You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm Dylan Spilka, your host, alongside Lauren Roche and Sam Ostry. And Maryland football is 5-3 and three after beating Indiana last week. During the homecoming game in College Park, Maryland came away with its fifth win of the season. It was a 38-5 to win. So let's just get right into it. What are our initial thoughts from that win, considering that now Maryland is one win away from being bowl eligible? Yeah, I think it was – I mean, it was a good win. Um, the offense – it was a must win, really, given the schedule that's coming up. The offense played well, and it was encouraging to see Talia have a, another big game. He had 400 passing yards. That's the most he's had on the season. Um, 400 plus passing yards and so it was encouraging to see the offense play well again the first time in really three weeks since that three game losing streak and that last win that they had before that against Kent State um, I think the defense still had a lot of problems I mean giving up 35 points like to an Indiana team that was on their third string quarterback is still very concerning and should be a concern moving forward but nonetheless it was a must win game at home homecoming weekend they got it done another encouraging thing was the penalties it was the lowest i think they had five penalties in the game which was the lowest they'd had since um week one against west virginia so the fact that 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 might be they may be turning corner in that area where discipline has been a huge problem like it was it was a i think they were expected to win they were favored by a little more than a field goal but it was still a must-win game that they got done yeah, and I think going off that discipline point, we spoke earlier in the season about how that would eventually come to bite them because they were um, getting penalized even when they were on that uh, four-game winning streak. And maybe this is kind of those three games where they were really sloppy losses. It wasn't just like a couple of tough losses. There was a lot of self-inflicted wounds there. Perhaps seeing this more positive performance in terms of discipline against Indiana is a good telltale, a good sign for this Maryland team and you know it could be interesting I think that something about Penn State is they're not too far behind Maryland when it comes to penalties this season so I think that when you look at maybe if Maryland can limit those um, self-inflicted wounds going forward there's a potential that they'll be able to at least keep up with some of these other teams who they face even though they have some really tough opponents coming up. Right. And we talked about this. Someone mentioned this before, but this was just a must win for a Maryland team that was on a three game losing streak. They were giving up way too many points per game. They haven't given up under 30 points in four consecutive games. Their offense hadn't scored more than 20 points since the September 25th game against Kent State. But then again, when you look at where they are right now, it's been a roller coaster of a season. I mean, we started at the season with I mean, they started at the season with a four and oh record and the best start since 2016. And then they dropped three straight, three pretty crushing losses. And then they, they get this win against Indiana. And even though Indiana's there, I mean, they're in the basement of the Big Ten East, and it was a game that Maryland definitely needed to have. So Maryland, I mean, now they're standing at five and three with four games left. I mean, at, at this point of the season, I mean, did we really expect them to be with a, with a five and three record and four games to go to try to capture just one win? They really, realistically, if they win, one out of the next four remaining games, I mean, that's a successful season. I mean, there's no other really way to look at it considering they haven't been to a bowl game since 2016. But I think the real question is, you know, we start just looking back at the beginning of the year, did we really expect them to be in this position where we are right now? 
think we did kind of because we all expected all, all of our record predictions were around five and seven, six and six, and that they were we knew they were going to be competing for that bowl spot. And we all agreed that I think everyone does that if they go to bowl game and win that win those six games, it's a successful season as they're still in the rebuilding growth phase of the program. So I think we did expect this where four games, maybe not this early where they were where they would be this close to reach to that six win benchmark. But we did expect them to be in a position to have a game late in the season to get to those six wins. And my prediction um, before the season was five and seven. If I had to change it up right now, I would say it would, it'll, it'll be six and six. But yeah, I think we expect them to be right around this, this position at this point. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think that the way we thought they would get there or around here was a little bit different. I was actually looking back today at that predictions article that we had put out, that prediction story, and I think that it was both Dylan and I said that, you know, Michigan State should be one that they'd be able to win. And I think, like, looking forward, that's definitely one of the tougher opponents on Maryland's schedule. And, you know, Indiana wasn't even really in the conversation. So I think it just shows how much – has changed throughout this season. I think it was more like maybe, you know, beating Howard and Illinois and Kent State would really be like those first three staple wins and then Rutgers. And that fifth win that we were all talking about was, you know, Michigan State, maybe Minnesota. We saw Minnesota didn't necessarily go that way. So I think it's um, pretty promising for the program, despite maybe what people are viewing as success for this program to be sitting at five wins at this point in the season before they're facing a team like, you know, Michigan State or Penn State this upcoming weekend. That was a, you know, that was kind of a coming into the season, a game that I know at least the three of us were looking at as could be a potential, you know, maybe game that Maryland could pull off depending on how, you know, where they were at. So I think for, you know, Coach Loxley in this program, standing at five and three at this point is a success for the program in terms of this rebuilding. I mean, Loxley has spoken about this, you know, time and time again, that he maybe wishes that some of that recruiting and some of the building that they're doing yielded immediate results. And it's not going to, you're not going to, you know, it's really rare that you're going to go from losing nearly every game to going going to a college football playoff, for example, but, you know, for this team to be standing at five and three only to be one win away and still have from qualifying for a bowl game, having four games ahead, one of those being Rutgers and even potentially maybe an upset somewhere, I guess you never know. So I think like looking at that, it's really promising for this program. And I think you can kind of feel that like when we were in availability earlier this week and Loxley was talking and some of the players were talking to only have one win ahead of them now to qualify for a bowl, I think puts a little bit of extra drive and motivation maybe just it doesn't feel so far away where two games feels like a little bit more you have to win one and then another to get somewhere now they already did kind of the the first step they all they have to do is win one more and get there so I think that this win did a lot for morale and it, it was a must win and it came at the right time for them to be able to have still you know a few games to be able to show maybe that they can do it so Maryland's taken a pretty interesting path to a five and three records. And you mentioned the predictions article that I'm pretty sure I completely forgot about up until this point that we ever did something like that. Haven't checked it over since I think we published. However, I mean, people are forgetting that Indiana was ranked at the beginning of the season. And just it's crazy how much this season has just flipped on its head with Michigan State all of a sudden being projected in the college football playoff. I mean, that's one of the craziest things that happened in Big Ten recency, I, in, like football-wise. I mean, it's always Ohio State, and all of a sudden Michigan State's knocking on the door. And I could talk all day about how Kenneth Walker should be the Heisman this year, but I don't – you know, he's probably not going to get it. But 
let's just get into this Maryland-Indiana game. Maryland coming out with a three-point win. Probably shouldn't have been as close as it was at the end of the game with Indiana storming back with 18 points in the fourth quarter and a bunch of it coming late. But Maryland did just enough. I mean, they scored 24 points in the second half to win the game. They scored the first 14 points of the game. And it seems like they were in control for the most part for the uh, entire meeting with the Hoosiers. And I think that the one man we could start out with, Carlos Carrier, I mean, the senior wide receiver, eight catches, 134 yards, two touchdowns, all of which are season highs. He had that spectacular 45-yard touchdown where he was sidestepping an Indiana defender. It was, I mean, the explosive plays are back for Maryland, and Carlos Carrier was a big reason as to why that happened. Just looking at his performance specifically, just how unexpected was this breakout from Carrier? And did you guys personally know that he had that kind of explosiveness? Because we haven't seen much of him this year, so it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't think anyone could have. Maybe the guys in the wide receiver room, but it would be very hard to predict that he would be the guy at this point in the season that would have a big game for them. Um, everyone's been kind of looking all year, or not all year, but since Dante Dimas went down, since Deshaun Jones went down, who's going to be the guy that steps up? And everyone's looking to Rakim Jarrett. He had a few quiet games. He kind of had a nice game, uh, five receptions, 88 yards last week against Indiana, which was encouraging to see too. But everyone was looking for like who's going to step up for Talia and be be his guy, have a good breakout game, maybe Brian Cobbs. But no, this weekend it was it was Carlos Carrier, and he actually the weekend before he had a couple carries, a, a couple um, catches, so he was getting in the picture. But then eight receptions, 134 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, Talia targeted him nine times. I mean, he's clearly they've developed some um, chemistry together, some relationship where Talia feels comfortable enough throwing to him, and he's been here for a while. I mean, he's not new to this program. So it's, it's, it was impressive to see. And I don't think anyone could have expected that he would be the guy that would be stepping up in Dante and uh, Deshaun's absence. Yeah, I don't think that it could have been predicted that it was going to be him. But I think we could have projected, of course, that somebody was going to have to step up. I mean, we were talking about the depth of, you know, this wide receiver group. What Dante and Sean were playing, you know, and you had Rakim in the mix. But I think part of that depth, that like was definitely touched upon was the depth beyond the starters and maybe Carlos Carrier's name wasn't being thrown around as much, but I think, you know, him having kind of some experience under his belt and maybe just, you know, soaking things in and putting in the hard work really clearly paid off. And I think that, you know, I don't think that this game was an outlier for him. I think that, you know, we can expect and, you know, everyone who's watching can maybe expect him to now continue to get into the mix a little bit more, especially with, you know, kind of the tight ends have been um, panning out a little bit more these last couple games. And he really has the opportunity to have this like breakout role while teams are kind of focusing more if, you know, if they're focusing more on um, anyone else. And I think that you know, it couldn't have been expected, but I also don't think it's necessarily an outlier for him, and this could be the beginning of something really exciting for him. And Carlos Carrier, you know, he we haven't really – he only had, I think, like seven or eight catches going into that game. He really wasn't a factor at all on offense. And without that performance against Indiana, I mean, I don't know if Maryland's getting that win. So Carrier, obviously, with a huge breakout performance for the Terps, and he showed a lot of speed. He's – He's six foot five. I mean, for the speed that he showed on the on especially on that forty five yard touchdown, I mean, it was he was really doing a great job of getting into open space, and it looks like he's 
kind of cemented cementing himself as a top three receiver on this team. And you see it on the depth chart now. So uh, Carlos Carrier really stepping up big time for Maryland. And it's interesting because I think the fact that a guy like Carrier is stepping up is a really good sign for this team, just in general, more of like looking at depth players stepping up. Because if you think of teams like the Ohio States and the Michigans, it doesn't matter who's in the lineup. You know they're going to be good. You need the depth players to kind of just step in and fill that role that a starter can assume. And for a guy like Carrier to not – because he could have easily uh, – like Maryland's depth players could have easily not broken out like that, and Maryland could have lost that game, and we'd be t- we would be talking about a lot of different things. But for Carrier to break out, with the opportunity that he was given, it's just going to push Maryland in a much better direction. And then looking at the quarterback play, Talia Tungavailoa, possibly his best game of the season. I think it, I think it was his best game of the season, honestly. 26 for 40, 419 yards, the most passing yards by a Maryland QB in a game since 2010. Make that 11 years. He also had two touchdowns. What are our overall thoughts of his performance? because it was a lot better than the previous three weeks. Yeah, so he was great. He, I mean, absolutely great. Um, again, it's not a very great good at all Indiana defense, but it was it was nice to see him get back on track and like, some make those easy throws, make good decisions. Again, no interceptions. That's a big part of it. He wasn't trying to force things. He was just making the right throws and some and getting getting it to his receivers. We kind of look back like, in the first four games of the season, he was off to a terrific start, like multiple 300-yard passing games. He goes to that Iowa game, that Friday night game against a great Iowa defense, and he's, he's just lost. I mean, he had five interceptions. He was all over the place. And then he was slowly trying to get back on track. He had a better performance against Ohio State, and then not a great performance against Minnesota, but it, it felt like he was progressing, getting back to where he needed to, especially with his decision-making. And then this Indiana performance seems like the culmination of those last few weeks since the Iowa game where he really just put it all together 26 for 40 419 yards two touchdowns 65% um completion percentage I mean he really had a great game and like Indiana again isn't a great team they're kind of like that Illinois um team earlier in the year where they don't have a great defense and um Maryland was able to take care of them that was Maryland's first big 10 win in the season so they're gonna they're gonna face better defenses and it goes along this coming weekend penn state eighth best scoring defense in the entire country they're gonna face michigan michigan state even Rutgers has somewhat of a scrappy defense um so it, it's it's really just a question of can he put these performances together against better defenses and we've been talking about the wide receivers the whole time but a lot of it was who are his weapons going to be because he, he kind of lost those safety blankets and dante especially and then Deshaun too but something that that he's really like doing this entire offense as is the running backs have been part of the passing game too, which maybe we'll talk about later. Town Fleet Davis had three receptions for 64 yards and one long one for 45. Um, so including the running backs as part of the passing game where Talia has more people to rely on, that'll only help him moving forward too. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see if this game gives him or his performance against Indiana kind of gives him a little bit of a confidence boost. I think we've heard him talk about it a lot that sometimes he gets into his head a little bit and, you know, will kind of have a little bit of trouble having a short memory. And, you know, he'll think about a play or think about something and it kind of lingers a little bit. So I wonder if having a performance like this, which is a career performance for him and a huge – you know, like you were saying, most passing yards by a quarterback in Maryland since 2010. So a 
huge win for the program as well. I wonder if that kind of confidence boost will kind of help him, you know, continue to perform in a way that's like very, you know, the good decision making that, you know, we've definitely seen improve since last season and all of that. And I wonder if it will kind of serve as not quite a turning point for him, but like a little bit of a reset after those three games where he really just wasn't able to, you know, get as much going as he was earlier in the season. And these opponents that he's going to, you know, face next, Sam, you were touching upon it, really tough defenses coming up. But maybe having that Indiana performance is a way for him to kind of go in already and feel, you know, come in with a little bit of momentum, at least from this last game and be able, you know, coming off a 400 yard 400 plus passing yard game. It's not a bad way to go into a game against Penn State. So I think hopefully he's probably thinking about, you know, how this can shift and carry forward. And, you know, with Carlos Carrier having a performance like he did and kind of watching um, some of the other players break out, it definitely helps with, you know, having a few games under his belt without Dante Dimas and without having Jay Sean in kind of it seems to he's kind of like fitting into this new offense again and getting used to it, which is definitely, you know, something that will come in handy going forward. What has visibly changed with the offense over the last, since, since the beginning of the losing streak, dating back all the way to that very hyped up uh, number five Iowa game back in college park that we remember so dearly. It's the explosiveness of this Maryland offense. And it seems that the way that the offense is now running through Tugavailoa, it seems that they figured out how to use their explosive receivers that they've been kind of mixing and matching. And now you've got a, a Marcus Fleming who had four catches or 70 yards against Indiana. Rockham Jarrett was doing his thing for five catches and 88 yards. Even Brian Cobbs had one catch for 19 yards. I think they're just doing a much better job of – taking some a little more deep shots. I think that's something that they kind of struggled with during the three-game losing streak, just a tendency to kind of hold back and not fire away first. But in the last game against Indiana, Maryland had three-plus catches from wide receivers go for 38 or more yards. And then, Sam, you already mentioned it with Fleet Davis and uh, Challen Famatau. They both had long receptions as well that went for over 30 yards, I believe. So there's just a lot more explosiveness with this offense. And obviously, Tagovailoa's performance was just about as good as it can get. But that, that being said, I just I don't want to, and I know I'm sure you guys agree, I don't want to overreact too much mm-hmm. to a win against Indiana because we know that Talia can perform really well against bad teams. And this offense, when they start clicking against bad teams, I mean, the sky's the limit for them. Well, they're, they're not at the complete bottom of the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East. They're definitely towards it. So when they're beating bad teams, it's really more about all right, what, what, what can he do against teams at the top of the Big Ten or the middle of the Big Ten? And, and that's, that's what it comes down to. That's really what we're going to find out um, in the next three weeks. It's a very good point, Sam. I, I, I would say that I agree with that. I think it's important not to overreact to uh, what Maryland did against Indiana. I mean, they are at the bottom of the Big Ten East. So you really – it's really just going to be – because every time the Maryland faces a, a pretty poor team, it seems that the offense is doing really well except I think out the outliers that Illinois game on the road. But then when Maryland's facing a big 10 team this season, all of a sudden the offense goes quiet. So I think these upcoming games against, uh, especially against Penn state is going to be very indicative of how Tugabailo is going to perform against the teams like Michigan state and Michigan, even though those are two of the top defenses in the big 10. And then just looking at Maryland's running backs, we kind of have like a duo lead back situation with uh, Challen Famantau and Teon Fleet-Davis. 
Fleet Davis, uh, 16 rushes, 40 yards and a touchdown, had three catches for 64 yards. And Challen had 21 rushes, which was the most that a back has received this year in a single game. He also had 44 yards and two touchdowns. All three of those touchdowns came from one yard away. So nothing too big there in the touchdown uh, department. But, you know, which running back is going to get more of the work the rest of the way? I think that it's going to be a split between the two. But I want to see Challen get those rushes per game. I mean, he's doing a pretty good – he's a hard runner. He runs hard, and I think that he, he might be a better rusher than Teon Fleet-Davis, even though I think Fleet-Davis is much better in the passing game. But I think that Maryland is starting to find a way to kind of utilize both backs in a, in a very productive way for the offense, and I think we just started to uh, – just started to see that against Indiana. Yeah, so I think Chal, um, Challen and Townfleet Davis, I think they're both really going to split the carries at this point and split the snaps in total because, like, maybe Challen might be the primary back on the ground going forward. But, te- like you said, Dylan, Townfleet Davis is really he's a serious weapon in the passing game. So they need him out on the field for that. So I feel like they're going to be splitting snaps a lot. And Challen, Challen obviously proved that he's capable last week. Neither guys are like really electric off, you know in the ground game in terms of making explosive plays for themselves. I mean, even this past week, Chown had a good game. He only averaged 2.1 yards per carry and Tanfleet Davis had 2.5 yards per carry. So neither guy really was explosive off the ground game, but something that they both bring is they're good red, red zone runners because they're powerful backs. Um, they, they, they do a good job, especially Tanfleet Davis, of just making plays inside the 10 yard line and, and pushing, pushing the pile forward, which, can, which helps Maryland in the red zone. So I think they're going to be split backs moving forward. And you're definitely going to see more of Tanner Fleet Davis in the passing game, which when you have another guy like Challen, you can put one running back in, in that passing game and not really worry too much about him as a runner. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that they'll continue to split and for that exact same reason. And I think that, you know, with – we talked about it last week especially, but with those two receivers going out, um, Tam Fleet Davis has had the opportunity to kind of step up and show kind of his – I guess, versatility in terms of what he can do as a running back and, you know, all the different ways that he can help Maryland move down the field. So I do think that they'll continue to kind of split it going forward. And um, who knows, maybe we'll see something explosive come out of one of the two of them soon and that will change. But for now, that's what it seems like. So Maryland's offense scores over 20 points for the first time since September 25th. And we've talked a lot about players that really excelled last Saturday against Indiana. But one player that really wasn't able to do much was tight end Chiggas and McConquo. And, you know, coming out of that Ohio State game, I believe Chig led the team in receptions and yards. And we started to think, okay, with the absence of Dante Demas and Sean Jones, maybe Oconquo is going to really step into a more receiving role. However, that hasn't been the case over the last few games. And last game, Chig, two catches, just two yards on two targets. So really not much attention from Tagovailoa in the passing game. You know, are, are his strong receiving performances, or do we think he's really just capped off? Or is it just a matter of other players in the offense really stepping into their roles? And it seems to have impacted the offense in a better way while Chig was that placeholder kind of helping Maryland transition into a, a new kind of like evolution of their own passing game with the depth stepping up. But it's kind of hard to tell if Chig is going to produce for the rest of the season. 
I still think Jig is a very good player. I mean, I think he's explosive as he can be as a playmaker when he gets just the ball. He's athletic, obviously. Um, he really hasn't been too like tight ends coming into the year where they was weren't a part of the offense at all last year. Um, we saw Chig make more of an impact in the red zone, catching a few touchdowns early on in the season. And then he was kind of a safety blanket for a few games um, when those when those injuries to the wide receiver position happened and guys had, had yet to step up. Um, so he's not – I don't know what it is, why he's not as involved as maybe people expect him to be in this offense, but I do still think he's a good player. And, and if Talia can find him, he's certainly capable of making plays. Yeah, I think that he definitely is still a good option for this offense and that maybe as they continue to find different ways to, you know, different ways to advance their offense that he will kind of keep being an option once some of these defenses figure out different ways to stop some of these new ways they're trying to figure things out. I think he still will be at least a semi-staple for this offense. And I think that, you know, if he's being targeted, he'll perform well and, you know, that's just based on how often he's going to be thrown to you. And one thing I forgot to mention was that Chig actually drew a defensive pass interference call in the red zone, uh, in the, in the end zone in the first quarter against Indiana. So he wasn't uh, all that quiet. So he's still active in the red zone. And I think he's still going to be the rest of the way. I think, you know, I think he should see a little more production on offense. Obviously, two receptions for two yards is probably the floor of what he's going to offer. But with the rest of the offense stepping up, it doesn't seem as though that that's one of the bigger Maryland worries as of right now. And a big worry right now is the defense. The defense has given up over 30 straight, over 30 points for the fourth straight game this season. But this time, Sam, you mentioned it before, it was, it was to a tr- true freshman, Donovan McCauley, and Maryland once again gave up over 400 yards. The rushing defense once again was extremely beatable for the second straight week after being absolutely torched by Minnesota in the ground game. Stephen Carr went for 21 rushes, 136 yards, two touchdowns for Indiana. What is everybody's initial reaction to Maryland once again getting just flat out beat in the ground game? Yeah, this defense is really struggling right now. I mean, to like a true freshman quarterback who was making his first ever start, Indiana's third string quarterback on the depth chart, for him to throw for 242 yards, two touchdowns, and and no interceptions. I mean, it's not really acceptable. And this game was maybe the the score was isn't a good indicator of how close it was because it really wasn't as close as a three point game. Maryland was kind of in control throughout, and Indiana scored a touchdown late that ended up making it a three-point game. But still, to put up, to give up 35 points to a real, the worst, it was the worst offense in the Big Ten scoring offense coming into the game. So to give up 35 points to them is not okay. And yeah, again, they, they ran the ball all over, and they would have ran the ball even more if they had a lead at any point. But they were, they had to keep up with, um, with Maryland's offense, so they couldn't control the clock and run the ball like we saw the week before with Minnesota. But overall, they had 42 carries for 204 yards and averaged just about five yards a carry. So, I mean, that's it's, it's really a problem, and it's it's because of a thin linebacker group that Maryland has right now. But they have really struggled to stop the run. And when they are down in games, which they will be for these next three, week, three weeks, it's going to be difficult when they can't stop the run and the teams are just trying to kill the clock with the run. Yeah, and I don't think that they'll be necessarily – be able to make that change anytime soon unless something drastic happens because they had the extra week to prepare for Minnesota. They knew exactly what Minnesota was going to be doing and they touched upon that um, 
you know, after the game and before the game that they knew what they were going to be doing and they weren't able to stop it. And then again, they had some difficulty stopping it, the run game against Indiana. So I think that, you know, unless some sort of drastic change happens between now and the end of the season, I'm not really sure if that's an area that's going to be improving so much between, you know, here and the next month or so. But I agree with Sam. It's going to become really detrimental to them when, you know, they're down by a touchdown, anything more than that, honestly, because it's just really a challenge for them to, and we've seen this, to kind of like get ahead when they're back. They do much, much better at games when they're the ones controlling the clock. And even, honestly, even in the Ohio State game, they started off that first drive was like, relatively solid production and as soon as they fall behind they just continue to fall deeper into this rabbit hole and you see it carry over to the offense as well it's if you you know if um the um we've seen it with the momentum that as soon as the momentum shifts there on defense it does as well on offense so it'll be interesting to see if that changes very much between now and the end of the season I can't imagine it will just because they had you know they had the extra week to plan for Minnesota and it didn't necessarily help but I guess we'll see yeah, Maryland's defense being flat out beat recently really haven't been able to uh, get any turnovers from their opponents. And it's just really, it was, if Maryland's offense didn't perform as well as it did, that game could have been a lot worse than it ended up being. But instead, we're sitting right now with Maryland having a five and three record. One win away from being bowl eligible. And now, next on the schedule, which I believe we can get to, is number 22 Penn State. And Penn State has had a very interesting season so far. Um, they've fallen all the way to the number 22 spot. They, uh, they're seventh in offense in the Big Ten, third in scoring defense, allowing just 17 points per game. They, it's going to be the best defensive team that Maryland has faced since the Iowa game. And obviously we remember that one with uh, Talia throwing five picks against uh, one of the best, what we thought was one of the best defenses in college football at the time. But Penn, just looking at Penn State, they start. They have a five and three record, same as Maryland. They did start five and zero oh, though, so they're on. They've lost three straight games, and they've lost those games to then number three Iowa, Illinois in nine overtimes, twenty to eighteen. That was one of the crazier games I've ever seen. And then they just recently lost to then number five Ohio State by nine points in a thirty-three to twenty-four game. So not too bad for Penn State, especially coming off of those two losses, especially against the. Illinois one that they definitely should have come away with considering how high they are ranked. And, but they were able to somewhat bounce back against Ohio state. Uh, Sean Cliff, quarterback, Sean Clifford has been dealing with some injuries as head coach, Mike Loxley said during media. However, this Penn state offense is only averaging 20 points per game during their losing streak. They're really all over the place right now. And at the beginning of the season, we didn't really consider this to be a game that Maryland could win. But right now, I mean, we talked about how this season has been evolving and changing game by game. And this Penn State team is no different. Is this Penn State, Penn State team beatable heading into Maryland's ninth game of the season? No. And the, the answer you said, you thought it's a game that Maryland can come in and win. I do not think so at all because this is an angry, angry Penn State team. They are not as bad as a team that should go on a three-game losing streak at any point in the season. A lot of that has been due to Sean Clifford and, and the injuries that he's dealt with. That was clearly a factor in the Iowa game and affected him the two games after. But 
this is an angry a Penn State team that's off of three straight losses, number one. And then it's also a Penn State team that has dominated Maryland historically. And then they lost to Maryland last year on their home turf. So this Penn State team wants to come in now into College Park and really beat. It's not really a rivalry for them, but Maryland fans definitely don't like Penn State. So it's more of a rivalry for Maryland. So they want to beat the doors off Penn State. Um, the line was opened up at like 10 and a half, 11. That was very surprising to me because I expect Penn State to come in angry and really play because they're not they're not completely out of the picture. I mean, <laughs> you guys are laughing. But I'm, tell, I'm telling you that I'm telling you that this is a scary, scary game for Maryland. Um, because this isn't like a must win. Like, yeah, Maryland is so close to that six game bull mark, but they have four games left to try to get there. They know the schedule is going to be heating up after these next two weeks. So I don't know if Maryland's getting it, getting up as much as Penn State is for this game and Penn State's the superior team. So I think Penn State's going to have an easy win. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I understand what you're saying with like the anger and the animosity of Penn State. Apparently they're very angry. Very upset. But I understand that they definitely are coming in with the chip on their shoulder. I mean, Maryland beating them at home, obviously not ideal for them. Three game losing streak, one of those being to Illinois, obviously not ideal for them. But I do think that it's interesting to I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think Maryland's gonna win, but I do think that you know, that there is a chance that maybe this game could be a little bit more exciting than maybe people thought three weeks ago, I guess. And obviously, we talked about not reading in too much to the Indiana, the win against Indiana for um, Maryland's win against Indiana. But, you know, maybe getting to that fifth win, no matter who it was over, gives Maryland a little bit of an extra push to be like, well, wouldn't it be easier if they, you know, Maybe they're thinking it would be easier if they kind of achieve that now instead of waiting until the last game of the season where they play Rutgers and they have to deal with that. I don't think that's necessarily enough for them to pull out a win, but I think that there's an interesting perspective. They already – the unique thing about this game is um, when they hosted Iowa, it was very reminiscent of that Penn State game that was here a few years ago that didn't go well in Maryland's favor. Maryland already had that kind of game this season. Maybe this is their chance to be like, obviously this one's a little bit different. Definitely won't be as many people there afternoon game versus that Friday night element. But maybe there's a chance where Maryland's like, we've already um, let a hyped up match get the best of us. Maybe we don't lose by as much, but maybe that's what they're thinking. But I do think, you know, I think that Penn State is the better team in this matchup. However, I don't know if it will necessarily be as big of a gap as maybe I thought it was three weeks ago. So for me, what I see from a Maryland team that came into two consecutive games against Minnesota and Indiana, basically knowing what they were going to get in the opponent's offense, and it's not like they were facing some of the top offenses in the Big Ten, and they still got run over. They got run over by Minnesota's run offense, and they had over 400-something yards. And then Indiana, with a true freshman at quarterback and a, a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten rushing attack, they still ran all, all over Maryland, still put up 35 points. So for a team that's better on offense, especially in the passing game, uh, if Sean Clifford's at full health, I think Maryland's in deep, deep trouble coming going this Saturday, to put it lightly. I could see them giving up 40-plus points in this one. I think that 
what we've seen from the defense really hasn't – it really just hasn't shown that they can stop an offense like this that's going to come into College Park. Like Sam said, they are unhappy with how their season is going. They are not happy to be on angry, a three-game losing streak. They are angry. They are upset. They are frustrated with their three-game losing streak, as I'm sure Maryland was. So Penn State's going to come into College Park with a purpose once again, just like it did in the 2019 season. And I think that offense is really going to bring it to Maryland. And I think the Terps are going to have a really tough time. But, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, your point is spot on that they should just run the ball because that's been the recipe against Maryland's defense where you're just running the ball down the throat, control the clock um, through the run game. And you're not going to have and you're going to have success doing that because Maryland has failed to stop the run. But on the flip side of it is we haven't seen Maryland's offense be able to um, compete against top level defenses. I mean, we've seen Talia and the passing game like break apart some not great defenses like Indiana, Illinois, and some of those early season opponents. But, but Penn state is one of the best defenses in the country. I think they're ranked. I think I said it earlier, but they're ranked eighth in scoring defense. Like that's, that's one of the best defenses in the country. And there's no reason to believe that Maryland's offense is going to start clicking against such a great team. And just like a statistic for you. I mean, Maryland is, or of Penn state is 41, three and one. I mean, no, my bad 43 and one against Maryland. Like, Maryland doesn't beat Penn State, and they got the best of them last year because that was an Owen uh, Penn State team that started 0 and 5, a much different defense. So Maryland was able to get the best of them that year, but that's their one in a decade win over Penn State. It doesn't happen. It's and I don't see it happening this this Saturday. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of points to agree with right there, and I think that that's an absurd record, 43 and one. I can't even fathom that right now. So. I think we can just get right into score predictions. Favorite part of the show. I said it before. I think Penn State's scoring over the 40-point mark. I don't think Maryland has really proved that they are going to be capable of stopping an offense like Penn State. So I'm actually going to go a little on the overside, and I'm going to say Penn State hits the 50-point mark and scores 52 to Maryland's 35. Okay, 50-35. I'm shocked you think Maryland's going to put that many points. I think um, they can. I, I mean, I, it's just that they're going to be catching up the whole game, and I could just see Penn State getting out to a big lead quickly, and Maryland just having to score, like just throw relentlessly, and I think that's what they're going to end up doing. Yeah, um, I mean, I see a blowout too, but I don't think it's going to be as high scoring. I see forty to seventeen, Penn State. I'm forty to twenty-four. So flip scores. Okay. Penn State. Okay, so everyone is on Penn State this weekend. Oh, no okay. love for the Terps. That's what I said, right? 42 to 24, not 40. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Correct. Yeah. So all of us on Penn State this weekend against Maryland, and I think that'll do it for this edition of the Testudo Times podcast. So that does it for another Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will get back to you next week with our reactions from the Penn State game, and we will be back next Wednesday with another podcast. So we'll see you next week.